Hello, robots, and welcome to today's episode of Remedial Studies. Today, we are going to be looking into um, an EP that I have had on repeat for quite some time because it heralds the return of the one, the only, Hosier, and that is uh, his EP, Nina Cried Power. I'm very excited to talk about this today because I have uh, a lot of feelings, as I usually do, but I don't know why today just feels like it's just so intense and I'm just bursting to talk about stuff. And usually when I feel like that, we uh, have really good conversations about stuff. So I am joined today, as always, by my co-host, Hannah. Hi, robots. Yeah, it's, uh, this album's a lot. Yes. Yes, it is. It's only four songs, but somehow it's still a lot. No, yeah, it's sort of the a microcosm of Hosier's overall, like, vibe thing, methodology. Yeah. yeah yesterday, uh, last night, actually, I posted on Twitter um, my theory that there's four genres of Hosier's music. Oh, I love this. And people tend- <laughs> people really liked it. Which makes me happy because I actually, it was kind of a joke, but it was also like, is this not the truth? You should uh, share with the podcast audience in case they're not on Twitter yes. because I feel like so much truth just got laid down Okay, this tweet. So this is the tweet. I'm so excited to record our next episode tomorrow on the four genres of Hosier music. Side note, I tagged him. He did not respond. Andrew at me you are the only person ever allowed to at us about this show but the four genres were one rage that burns like a fire in the mind two love of powerful and terrifying women three the interplay of worship and sexual sacrilege four songs best listened to in thunderstorms whilst crying and those are the four types of Tells your songs. <laughs> yes. And you know what? I think they're really exemplified by each of the four songs on this album. No, that's true. I think so. Because, I mean, Nina Cry Power is obviously very angry, but also, I think, hopeful. Mm-hmm. And then you have NFWMB. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I love that it's the worst acronym ever. It is a horrible acronym. I'm like, Fallout Boy laid the groundwork for obnoxiously long song titles. The least you can do is follow up. Like, I'm sure that he did that because the because of the ex- explicit language of the, of the f word in that song, uh, and he probably didn't want it censored or whatever. Yeah, censoring doesn't fit with with Hosier's aesthetic. So he did a weird acronym instead, which is, I feel like, more in keeping (laughs) with his aesthetic. True. That's true. That song is definitely Love of Terrifying and Powerful Women. Yeah. And then we've got, we'll talk about this more. I think we're going to talk about each song a little bit more in depth, but I think we both agreed Moment Silence, well, it's still a a good song, is is the, the weakest song on the album compared to the other three. But that's all about something that I think Hosier is, is famous for, and that's, like, integrating, like, religious and spiritual allusion and language into songs about sex. Yes. With, most famously, of course, in the OG Hosier single, Take Me to Church, but, like, From Eden is another song that's kind of like that. 
Yeah, I would say to maybe a lesser extent, the angel of small death and the Kobe mm-hmm. scene. Mm-hmm. I like that. But that's that's a that's a tried and true thing that he does. And then the last song on the album is Shrike, which is as close to a traditional Irish ballad as we we've seen from him recently. Yes. I astral projected back to the summer uh in twenty fifteen where I looped the original album uh on repeat for days. Oh mood. maybe even weeks or months. Mood like, as it hell. was real bad. And like in a week, that song about dying with your lover in a sheep field and the sheep are like freaked out. Like it's so specific and macabre and sad and like yet quiet and tender and i don't know it's just sad irish things yeah hashtag (laughs) sad irish things but yeah i think this ep is a taste i hope of i I really hope he does what carly ray our queen did with emotion where you just come out with like 20 songs yes oh gosh i'm so hopeful because i'm really thirsty for it please (laughs) but also like hosier has become a little bit of a meme yes and i and i think he knows that and i think he probably thinks it's funny he did an answer time on tumblr recently and was talking about you know it feels like i've been gone a while but you know in the fey realm the time is a bit differently but about how he his like the grand disappearance how people people treated him like he was a cryptid for a while there and i think it's easy underneath all that jokes to forget he's a really fucking good songwriter yeah and he sound like i watched his like i was on youtube looking at like the nina cried power music video and it linked me to his like tiny desk concert he did back in like 2015 and i'm just like how are you so fucking good (laughs) <laughs> I was angry about it because it was one of those things that I think he he's just so consistent and he he has such a high standard for his own work that you forget how good he actually is. Yeah, and the other thing I think he talked about was that he wasn't really gone. He was touring and touring. Yeah, he was and doing stuff. For and then he took a year off and while he took the year off from touring, he wrote this album yes so he which is a totally normal time frame for an album i think some people can write while they're on the road depending on like their tour schedule and just how they operate it sounded like that wasn't an option for him yeah it sounded like that 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 just wasn't a a productive way for him to work which understandable like if i were traveling all the time and performing all the time i wouldn't have a lot of energy for anything else mm-hmm. uh i actually saw him when he was on tour i've never seen him live and i'm pissed about it it was one of the most unique concert experiences i ever had because it was outside and it was october which is pre- kind of late for an outside concert but it was still early enough in october that it was just very fall and like cool and it was a clear evening um and it it was a venue on the river Mm -hmm. everyone is the first time i've been at a concert in that venue where people had sat down the whole time 
Because I don't know, Hoser's music isn't really like, we're going to dance around. It's not dance It's not rager music. Yeah, it's not danceable music, which is fine. I respect that. Not everything has to be danceable. But we just sat down, listened to him sing, and it was beautiful. And he had like a cellist, I think, come out for in a week. And he played like every song on the album, (laughs) pretty much. It was really good. Yeah, he, and then he thanked every single person, like, including, and not limited to, the bus driver. Oh my god. He's so good. I can't deal. <laughs> I think we we kind of talked about this in not this production meeting we just had, but in a past production meeting, about how he's so effective, especially for people like our age. Mm-hmm. Because he has that kind of sad Irish thing mixed with blues his dad was a blues drummer and like all this other stuff but there's still this this underlying softness to everything that kind of comes out even like in his face like he's one of those people (laughs) that i just like looking at him and not even because he like he's not obnoxiously attractive i think he's attractive but he's not like he it's not in your face about it he's very easy on the eyes all that other stuff but there's just something about him that's very warm and kind of soft like he even i think he's like kind of soft-spoken in real life too mm-hmm. and that kind that i think that comes across in his music i know that if no matter what mood i'm in there's a host your song for that <laughs> yeah i think that's definitely true uh, the marriage of, like, the blues and the gospel and the kind of rock and roll edge with the the sad Irish folksiness is not something I would have been like, these two things should get together and have a baby. And then they did, and it was wonderful. Yeah. So maybe that's a good place to lead into talking about Nina Cried Power, mm-hmm. the song, because it's really a song... It's a, it's just it's a, a protest song about protest songs, I think, somewhere. Yeah. And that it's a thank you to the people who, you know, went through these struggles, are still going through these struggles with civil rights, and thanking them for all that they've done, not only for his Hosier's music personally, but also on a much larger scale yeah i think the reason nina cried power is such an effective song is because it it is a protest song about protest songs but i think it's also about the power of that kind of that style of music there's a line in particular that i keep going back to i think it's after the first chorus and it's it's not the song it's the singing Mm-hmm. And I keep coming back to that line. And there's so many really good lines. There's a whole M- Mavis Staples verse I could talk about for 500 years. But that song in particular, I think, is very insightful as to what kind of action those songs ultimately inspire. Because protest is something that I, I think, now that it's coming back into the public consciousness, especially in America... I don't think it ever really left in a bunch of other places, but in America, like, the whole idea of protesting is is coming back into, into mainstream, and by that, 
I should probably preface, we mean white consciousness because <laughs> of various and sundry political things, one of which happened yesterday and was not that chill. Um, it's, we're, we're sort of rediscovering the power of protest and bringing people together and all that other, all that other stuff. I think what this song ultimately says is it's not the song that brings people together. It's the act of gathering around that song and singing it and adopting it for a movement or just for you as a person. And and I think ultimately, like, the question that I, I, I think he kind of grapples with in the song and what Mavis Staples verse is also about this and I think it's a very interesting choice to give her that verse because she also has a very strong background in that style of music is like I'm just gonna read it and I could cry power power has been cried by those stronger than me straight into the face that tells you to rattle your chains if you love being free and there's so many things that that could be applicable to um I've talked about this on the show a couple of times but I'm taking a class on women's rhetoric during the original the og women's rights movement which was for women's suffrage between like 1860 to 1920 and someone brought up this song in our class because we we one of the books we read specifically deals with um, african-american women and their largely unsung contributions to that movement A, a thing that we all kind of arrived at is that it's important to remember that fights like that for not just women of course but like the civil rights movement and in ireland there's a lot there has been a lot of protests in the past year especially about women's rights um mostly against the catholic church and the irish government and all that stuff it's important to remember that those fights never really end and that's something i think we're dealing with in america I think it's easy to sort of look at any given thing that's happened and be like, oh, well, this isn't, this isn't America. This isn't who we are. It kind of is because it's happening right now. And the way to stop that is to take action or to say a, a phrase that like I've personally started kind of adopting in the past year or so. That I think you you introduced me to it, which is like, okay, this far, no further. Right, right. I think we're seeing that a lot where, because the thing that happened yesterday, because this is, you're going to hear this a few days after we record, uh, was the Kavanaugh hearing, Mm -hmm. which I have been purposefully avoiding because I've been following it up to the point before it happened. And then I'm like, I'm done for a little bit for my own sanity because that is a mess and I think what we're seeing in particular what called that to mind for me was the me too movement where a lot of women are saying you know this far but no further we're done now and I think that could also be applied to the black lives matter movement it's just people have had enough we're done we're done being quietly complicit in the oppression and I don't want to say victimization but this hurting of other people by a system that is by its very nature and origin unjust unfair and unfeeling and I I think also an an additional layer of meeting in in Nina Cry's power 
is the idea of it's not the waking, it's the rising. It's not enough to be aware of what's happening. It's not enough to to know that it's happening, to recognize that it's bad. You must also do something about it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that's that's a very uh, salient point in both the song and our current political moment. It's a song about the power of rallying cries in all of their forms. And I really hope as we move forward what happened yesterday and what comes of it, regardless of what happens, regardless of the act itself, I hope that becomes something that we remember and something that if and when, because time's fucking up, if and when <laughs> something gives, that one thing gives, I hope we all remember that and that it becomes something that gets carried forward through the rest of this process. Right. Yeah. And this is definitely a song about not forgetting mm-hmm. to continue to remember the things that people have done in the past, um, especially people in the African-American community have done and all the contributions that they've made and how hard that they had to fight. Yeah, man. A- African-American women in particular have been like showing the fuck up for decades, decades. upon decades. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, like thank, thanks, thank you someone for just making a song that is at least in part about that yeah yeah and it was really nice to see all those names because i think sometimes people go as far as martin luther king jr and then stop Mm -hmm. uh and obviously there are a ton like his contributions are obviously super important there's no arguing with it but it's not the be all end all of the civil rights movement yeah exactly like martin luther king jr didn't just roll up to washington like can we have this please and they were like okay like that's not what (laughs) happened right uh so it's great to see you know mavis staples in there nina simone billy holiday it was interesting because it's like people i saw an article and they're like thought it was sort of weird that she was in there because she's I don't know that she did a lot with the civil rights movement exactly, necessarily. My history's real bad, guys, and I'm sorry. The song I remember her for, I believe she was the one that sang it, was the song Strange Fruit, which was about lynchings in the South. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to cut how stupid I am. No, it's okay. um, Yeah. No, but... But someone else was like, why is she in here? So, like, that tells you how... It, it's just like, not in, in the consciousness. Yeah, the the Genius Annotation talks about... It was from 1939, that oh song, Strange Fruit. And, in, yeah. like, that was, like, Jim Crow City in the 1930s. And it, it makes me, like, physically want to be sick when we, when we think about the horrific treatment of black people in this country. And how far back, even, like the music that he's referencing goes because it's it's all talking about the same problem yeah yeah it is shall we now that we have talked a lot and gotten very righteously angry as per the genre of music that we're talking about uh shall we move on to something a bit lighter yes let's do you want to just go in order of yeah. uh, the songs on the album because i i do have some things that i want to say about nothing fucks with my baby 
which is that it's weirdly hypnotic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's just this, the bass line, the soft vocals, how he never... Because Hosier can get loud. Like, he can go... I, I find it interesting how different his voice sounds, depending on where in his range he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't really have another comment about that. I just thought it was interesting. I think there's a chanting as well, kind of a chantiness to the mm -hmm. delivery of the lyrics. And I think in this song, you really start to see, because I read a whole bunch of interviews uh, with him, the different magazines did. I think I read one from Rolling Stone and Billboard and how the album itself is going to be kind of thematically centered on sort of the end of days in a tongue-in-cheek way, and that the songs are kind of centered around different perspectives on that, and how Nina Christ Power, that song is really an optimistic, like, things are messed up, but we can do something about it kind of perspective, whereas... Nothing Fucks With My Baby is more about embracing the end of it all. Yeah. And enjoying it a little bit. A little bit. I did enjoy, in true Irish fashion, how there's a W.B. Yeats reference in the first verse. Yes. To Bethlehem it slouched. No one has mentioned that. They, they keep talking about how all the biblical references i mean there are biblical references in that song but slouching towards bethlehem is is the yeats if i remember correctly the poem it's taken from was about europe after world war one and like the social climate of the destruction that had been going on and like i think here we go i have the line itself it's from the last line of the poem it's called the second coming there we go and it's, and what rough beast, it's our come round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. It makes me feel some kind of way. It is vaguely apocalyptic in that, to me, the sound, it, there was a, a mini debate, I think, that went on on the internet. Is, is it a song that is possessive of the titular baby? Or is it something that is expressing awe. I, I, I fall in, in the second camp. I would definitely go with the latter. Because when the, the line, when I first saw you, the end was soon, to Bethlehem it slouched and then must have caught a good look at you. Yeah, I'm getting like Elder God vibes. I'm getting Valkyrie vibes. Like I'm getting a lot of like... Do you remember that line... And I don't know if you got to it when you watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because season four is such a slog. Oh, no, I never made it through season four. I got super stuck because of Riley. Yeah. Or whatever oh, his mood, name is. Big mood. But I remember the <laughs> line, I think it's from season three, but when Buffy's like, I'm standing on the mouth of hell and it's going to swallow me whole. That's what this song reminded me of. Yeah. Is that kind of woman who says shit like that. But there's so many, like, I think my favorite, I posted this on Twitter. I posted, like, a 10-tweet-long thread of all my favorite <laughs> Hosier lyrics because I couldn't stop. Shout out to azlyrics.com for being, having that purple that's so aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> but the verse two into the pre-chorus made me, like, have a lot of feelings. And it's, 
If I was born as a blackthorn tree, I'd want to be felled by you, held by you, fuel the pyre of your enemies. Ain't it warming you, the world gone up in flames? Ain't it the life you, your lighting of the blaze? Ain't it a waste they'd watch the throwing of the shade? Ain't you my baby? And I'm just like, first of all, the whole, if I was born as a blackthorn tree, I'd want to be felled by you. I'm like, why are you coming for me? And true. Why? <laughs> like, the fact that there, this is this is a woman who is somehow powerful enough to have enough enemies to warrant a pyre. Yeah. <laughs> is, I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, this, this is like, we're entering bad bitch territory. Like, this person does, like, nothing fucks with my baby, is not at all protective. Like, if anything, I think he's the one being protected. I think there is... And I think this is a recurring thing that I've picked up. A motif of wanting to be consumed. Yes. By your lover, the act of love, whatever, that is kind of pervasive in in the music. The idea that love is somehow ruinous in a way. That... Love, I think it's the thing, there's like a, a lot of the time we consider love conquers all as a very positive thing, but if you think about love conquers all, everything, justice, order, peace, moral and ethical considerations, like, I think there's a a dark side to that that's often expressed in Hosier's music. I definitely agree with that, and I think it really comes out on this song, and it's one of those songs I didn't particularly care for it the first time I listened to it but I kept listening to it and it's like it's it's just latched itself barnacle like onto my heart and I'm like really into it now yeah I think it's very different than a lot of what else is going on in popular music right now I feel like it kind of occupies a similar space to Florence and the Machine Mm-hmm. Where we're getting a lot of pop music that's very influenced by EDM and dubstep and and more electronical synthesizer-y type things. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I think that was a thing in the eighties too. Yeah, I, I think I think that was the first real era of electronically produced music was the eighties. So we're in like a second wave, and I think this is less pervasive than it was a couple of years ago. When, like, people were putting dubstep drops in, like, every single song. hmm And we're kind of moving back out of it, but there's still very... It's very poppy and polished and everything. But Florence and the Machine and Hosier are kind of coming at it from a different direction, like a darkier... Darkier? <laughs> a darker, earthier place where things aren't as polished and tidy yeah tidy is a good word for it because i think at at times i do kind of like that kind of music i do because i think that is very much uh carly ray jepsen yeah emotion and emotion side b yes like those songs are clean they're well constructed there's a lot of electronic there's a lot of synth and i do like it i it's yeah. just there's so much of it. That, yeah, that's the thing. It's almost like the market's been oversaturated at this point to the point where, like, so many things 
I mean, a, a lot of popular music is going to sound the same because it's all from the same genre, but like so many things sound so similar now. The one example I have, you know how the intro to Ice Ice Baby and Under Pressure are like the same? Right, because the one guy stole, Vanilla Ice stole that song. Yes. So the <laughs> intro to Shut Up and Dance by Walk the Moon and the intro to Drive by Ben Rector are the same. Like, they are the same. And every fucking time, I'm like, yes, walk the moon on Sirius XM, into it, and then fucking Ben Rector comes on. Not that Ben Rector's bad, but I'm like, you may have stolen this. The old bait and switch? The old bait and switch. It's just one of those things where I'm like, am I the only one that hears this? I don't know what song you're talking about with the drive song. I'm gonna have to... Look it up, because I swear to God, it is the same. It's the same. Because I love Walk the Moon. Maybe pitched a little bit differently, but, like, the rhythm and the beat and the tune is the same. I swear to God. This is the hill I will die on today, listeners. <laughs> that that particular. But I, I agree with you. And I, I love, you know me, I love Florence and the Machine. I'm still waiting for um, her and Hosier to write the Hades Persephone rock opera that we all deserve. in which we all die instantly upon hearing it never enough hades persephone content no in my opinion because yeah there's just never enough content we've talked about this before nothing fucks with my baby i think to me is something that it it leans into the softer part of the apocalyptic if that is such (laughs) a thing it's a very interesting position i think narratively to choose to write from Uh, especially i think for uh, a man to write from i i think that's why i ended up liking it and why i end up liking a lot of hosier songs that maybe i don't particularly drive with the very first time i listen to it is because there's always layers man it's like an onion there's always layers (laughs) i don't know i guess i'm into this idea of embracing this darkness that's happening and accepting it and being like, well, you know, this person is terrifying, but man, like, they're powerful and awesome and... Yeah, awesome in, in, in the original sense. Yes. So, I don't know. I really like that because, I I mean, it's so rare that that happens in, like, real life. You kind of have to go to this imaginary artistic place to experience that kind of biblical awe. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Speaking of biblical, oh boy, <laughs> let's move on to the third song on the EP, which is "Moment Silence, Common Tongue," which I think we agree. I hesitate to call it the weakest song on the album because that isn't a weak song, but correct. I think for our our personal tastes and what we like, we both agreed that for us, this is our least favorite song on the album. Yes, because we didn't really rank the other songs the same, but this one, both, it came in fourth for both of us. Mm-hmm. It's been growing on me lately. Like, I, I think it's one of those things I really like the idea and I really like the music. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the very bluesy, kind of bordering on that anger again back uh-huh the guitars especially i was just like yes yes i'm into this but it it follows a very uh traditional hosier formula of songs about religion and sex 
Right. This one has a lot more words than the other ones, too. It, like, it does. The verses are a lot more dense in terms of lyrics. Um, and maybe that's why I don't like it as much. I'm not really sure what it is that's not working for me as well mm-hmm. as the other songs. Yeah, because I, I think that's something that's important to bring up. And it, we've talked about this a couple of times already about how it's not bad right it is the weakest song but it's not a weak song because i mean when i feel as intensely as i do about the other three it's still a very i think it's very consistent with the overall like i mean there is no such thing as objective quality but like if i were to take that part of my emotions out of it i'd be like yeah i I think it fits with the rest of all the rest of them I wonder if it's because common tongue is kind of a pun. Yes. It worries me. It is it a bit of a me. pun. It's a risk. <laughs> it's a <laughs> risk with you talking. I, I, I definitely appreciate that. I get why it's there. But I'm also like, Andrew. <laughs> In a lot of things, I feel like that's my reaction to some of the stuff he says. I'm with you, but Andrew. <laughs> But, yeah, Moment Silence is all about, like, the very physical aspect of love and pleasure and all that good stuff. And it's about, in my mind, it's all about, like, how you shrug off, like, a very a, a very conservative view of, of sex. Because it is about sex. I'm still not really sure what a lot of, like, the line-by-line things mean. Which isn't, like a big deal i i think that also might be because you're right in that it is a lot of the verses they're very like stuffed like there's a bunch of stuff just just pushed into all of all of the stuff and then you have shrike that's like this is a traditional irish ballad and i'm living for it moment silence is i find the the moment it focuses on like that weird because when, when we talk about Carly Rae Jepsen, this was way back in the day. This was back in, like, December when we talked about emotion and emotion side B. You brought up how Carly Rae is really good at capturing that, like, moment of infatuation between, like, disinterest and when the relationship becomes work. Right. It's the will we, won't we yes. section of the relationship. Yeah, that I think she captures very well. Yes. And I think, you know, the moment silence that is talked about in the title and throughout the song is that moment between initiation and consummation. Oh. And I thought that was something that was very interesting to focus on because it's not... I, I think um, in some of his other songs, it focuses kind of on one or the other. Like, Take Me to Church is very explicitly about the actual physical act of sex like we we all know we were all there in 2015 <laughs> we get it from eden is like looking at the initiation of the sexual relationship and all that other stuff this song i think exists somewhere in between those as far as if you look at it like a timeline i think that's an interesting place to look at that from because it's, i don't really i can't think off the top of my head of another specific song i'm sure if i was given enough time i could but of a specific song that looks at that particular instant in a physical relationship and ties it back to the sacred 
and how I, I think he's kind of putting forth that there is something sacred in like the physical agreement between two people that they will become one person, at least metaphorically. I, I'm kind of going off the rails a little bit, but like I get I get what you're saying. I, I think like in terms of you know, the physical act of sex is seen by a lot of conservative religious groups to be profane, to be sinful. Yes. And it's something that people are punished for. They experience, I'm sure, like, shame and guilt over it. I think a lot of what Hosier does is challenge that, and especially in take me to church is to say that this act in and of itself is sacred for various reasons. I mean, sex is about love between two people. It's about physical pleasure. It's also about power. It can be about power. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about sex is never about just sex, right? That's the thing in art and literature. And I think it's something sometimes that conservative groups forget is that it's never just about the physical act. And I and I think we see that theme revisited here yeah. in common tongue. Yeah. And I'm I'm interested in how that phrase common tongue is used because we've gone a couple episodes not mentioning it. Common is the language everyone starts out knowing in Dungeons and Dragons. And the whole idea of a common tongue of something that is mutually understood and how with the punniness, <laughs> it becomes something that goes beyond language right. in the traditional sense. Right. The physical act of love is something I think that every human being understands or it can understand. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to do any, you know, arrow, ace, erasure though. So like... Tiny star, shout out to you guys. I see you. You're good. We know you're there. We see you. We love you. But it is a very universal experience. Like, that's something people have talked about for, like, it's in everything all the time, always. Yeah. You know, it's how the human race keeps going. Mm -hmm. And also the idea of common not only meaning universal in this case, but common can also mean base or mm-hmm. you know unrefined or you know all that stuff so like it is very much a pun on <laughs> on a universal understanding and also like the perceived profanity of the physical act yeah there was also a particular thing in verse two i wanted to bring up because i think it very directly calls out conservative people who may uh try to see things with a very this is probably directly a reference to the horrific history of abuse within the catholic church but it's a for the verse is what yields the need for those who lead us oh so morally those that would view the same we do through their deformity who view the deed as powers creed as pure authority And in, like, reading back through that in the lead-up to this, I was like, okay. (laughs) That's kind of a call-out. That's kind of a call-out to be, like, 
just because you view this as that this thing that I would like to do with this person as something that is intrinsically something that is only done for authority because that's how you do it doesn't mean that that's a thing that is a universal experience or a thing that should be a universal experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that ties back a bit to the line in the first verse, which is, no, yeah, I think it's the first verse. It's something about God looking on in abject apathy. Oh, yeah, the first verse is the wordiest and hardest to understand. (laughs) Yeah, the line is, is all reason flown as God looks on in abject apathy. A squall in all of me is a prayer in perfect piety, which... That's a take-me-to-church callback. But it's this whole idea, I think, over the course of the song where he's really saying, like, this thing is as sacred as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And why would God give a shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why would God, out of everything in the world, why would God care about this? Right. Right. So do we want to handle our last song? The sad. Last song. Last last song. song. I really was missing that fiddle in Shrike because I feel like every sad Irish song needs a fiddle solo. Are you just saying that because you listened to Celtic Woman for a year straight or? (laughs) I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to read me like that on our podcast, but yeah, no, no, that's, that's real though because Celtic Woman has always had a dedicated fiddle member. But no, that was the thing I did when I was like 17 is I think I only listened to Celtic Woman for a while. And I bought I bought way too many of their albums. It's okay. It could be worse. I went through 10, 10 years after the 90s happened. No, 20 years after uh, the 90s happened, I got really into, like, 90s alt-rock, and that I exclusively listened to that genre for, like, a year. Oh, my God. So it could be worse. That could be. It could be really worse. So, I think a good place to start, and I think we had both had this experience. We had to look up what a shrike was. Right. I think I had heard of butcher birds before, but I hadn't heard of. I don't know that I associated it with shrikes. I figured it was a bird, Mm -hmm. but. That was from context clues more than any innate knowledge of it. Uh, And then I looked up what a shrike was on dictionary.com and it was sort of like, oh, oh, that's what this is about because shrikes are birds that spear their prey, their food, on thorns or hang them up on trees and stuff to to die. So they're kind of... They're, uh, it's a little macabre, again. It's a back, bit macabre. We're in this, we're in this really grisly kind of space. And so it's an interesting thing to, to use in a song, I think. Because that's a not common metaphor there. And also, I thought the interesting thing that came up in the dictionary.com definition is that shrikes are thought to be, and I'm sure they can't, it's very probably very difficult to confirm this, that shrikes are thought to be the only species of birds that kill more than they need to eat. Oh, I didn't know that. And I don't know if Hosier knows that, but now I know that. So it's, if it's really affecting my 
interpretation of the song yeah, and how I feel about it. Definitely, when, when I figured out what a strike was and that it is it is something that essentially butchers and how they are thought to be uh, monogamous is another thing that I thought was interesting. Oh. Um, well, they're thought to be. It's one of those things I imagine, like, is kind of difficult to 100% confirm, and I'm sure not every bird is the exact same. Because there's no indication over the course of the song that he will ever be moving on from this person at least that i thought it's one of because i mean when when you say like dragging along following your form hung like the pelt of some prey you had worn like thinking that there's some fundamental part of you that will be going with this person that you will never get back Mm-hmm. and and with the being reborn kind of parts of the song this idea that even death isn't going to keep you from coming back together yeah which is something he talks about in work song like no grave could hold him or something like that no no grave could could hold my body down i think is the actual yes. phrase that he uses but yeah it's it's the whole thing of like of being reborn as a as a bird of something that is fundamentally less well i say less than different than a human and like maybe how that would translate to not really feeling like a full person anymore and the whole thing of like i was housed by your warmth but i was transformed by your grounded and giving and darkening scorn and how he can only really make the fundamental emotional change he needed to when this relationship was coming to an end and there was no going back i think a lot of people have experienced, even if it's not in a romantic relationship or anything that was even that dramatic. But I, I think when you're in any kind of relationship and you realize at some point that it's just not going to work, mm-hmm. like, I think that changes you. Like, I've I've been through that where you realize, regardless of if there's nobody who's at fault, because I think this is something I've been trying to think about in my in my life, like, mostly to do with, like, school stuff and whatever. But, like, I think in life it's easy to, it's, it's easy to forget that, like, you can do nothing wrong and things just won't work out. Right. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a thing. But the metaphor of being in a situation where there's this thing that you lost and all you can do is sing about it is very Irish. <laughs> right this uh, this song i really reminded me of in a week mm-hmm. there's that same sort of like tragic love story thing going on because in a week there's a pair of lovers that i think maybe they fall into a cave or something equally irish and like get stuck and they die in each other's arms. And then a couple of weeks later, people find them because they, their decomposing bodies scare the sheep. And yeah. I think that song talks about, like, the actual decomposition. It sounds like something. And scavenging yeah. of the bodies. And there's that same sort of focus on the physical kind of... He's not shying away from that sort of... There's almost a horrific element to it. There's nothing pleasant about the image of bodies mounted on a hedgerow. Yeah. There's nothing, like, pleasant about that. 
And again, I think this song kind of speaks to like those darker parts of love and relationships. I think that's definitely very fair. And and I think one of the things that I find consistently that I really enjoy about Hosier's music is that he doesn't shy away from that kind of stuff. Because I, I think in modern pop music, and God knows I love this kind of music. We talk about Carly Rae for days and all that other stuff, it, where you want to focus on just the positives and focus on you know, the good parts of things. And I think that's that's a good thing to do. I, I saw a, a shade of something a little bit different in a song that I believe Marshmallow and Bastille just put out called Happier. Oh, I'm intrigued. <laughs> Tell me more. It's all about the the male narrator of the song. is ta- it's, it's basically going through this realization that the best thing he can do for this relationship is to leave it. Because this person will never be as happy as they could be if they stay with him. And that is a shitty realization to go through, to put someone else's emotions before your own in that kind of fundamental way is really hard and not a thing that that you can take lightly, I don't think. So I saw a, a small shade of addressing that kind of thing about a relationship without assigning blame because i think that that's an important distinction right obviously right obviously the genre of the breakup right someone's always at at fault and a lot of time i'm listening to these guys talk about it and i'm like me and her we'd be friends i don't i don't like you or how you're talking about this woman yeah i don't like it don't care for it (laughs) don't care for it y'all we all remember uh somebody that i used to know which has the second yeah. I love how it has that woman come in at the verse where she's just like what the fuck are you I talking love about that. this is your fault <laughs> I love that because at first I you think it's it. just your traditional um and then she comes in and it's like there's always another side to the breakup there is there is there's always another side to the breakup so I think Shrike in its way is a breakup song something is decomposing <laughs> Yeah, whether it's the relationship, who knows. But it's it's a hosier breakup song, so it's got to be weirdly poetic and talking about reincarnation as birds and and stuff. Can we talk about how long it took me? This is kind of a side tangent about how he sneaks in those puns. <laughs> when I was I was listening to work uh-huh. song and it took me so long to realize the empty crib comment was about a woman with an empty womb. Oh. It took me forever to realize that because it's just like, I woke with her walls around me, nothing in her room but an empty crib. I'm like, okay. Okay, Andrew. I didn't know if that meant that she was childless or if she had lost a child recently. That's true. That could very well be. Either way, it, it, either way it, it's about you. It was very evocative that phrase it was that, that carried a lot of like i'm like i don't know why you're mentioning this but i'm concerned <laughs> i i figure it's something important you might need to clue me in a little bit more with some more yeah some of these some of the songs are sort of like mysterious as to what they're actually referring to and maybe i'm just not that smart or maybe they're not that deep but i don't know i think there's something interesting about the willingness that Hosier has to kind of not deal so much in, like, the abstract feelings 
of of love, but to really focus on these very clear images, whether and some that aren't like that that aren't pretty like there's not a wrapping up of things into what people said or what people did necessarily or like how you felt but like there's very clear images of it like if I were a hawthorn tree I want to be felled by you and become the pyre that you use to burn your enemies corpses like that's a very one that's a very specific image that's a very clear image. <laughs> and it's a very strange image to be in a love song, per traditional love song rules. Exactly. I, I think there's a lot in Shrike and Nothing Fucks With My Baby that sort of plays with or just straight up flouts the traditional love song formula that we all kind of know. And that is um, and has been for decades very popular in pop music. And and I think a distinction I want to make, and I'm, I I know you feel this way too, but I think it it still merits stay, saying, is there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. There's nothing necessarily wrong with pop music or whatever. Like I get so annoyed when people try to pull the I'm morally higher than you because I listen to the fucking Beatles. Like I don't. <laughs> that's not a thing. The Beatles are pop music. Get over yourselves. But. I think it's interesting when you have a genre that is so established to have artists push those conventions or just not pay attention to them. I I think that's something that's very interesting. And we see that across a lot of different media. You can see it in film. You can see it in books. You can see it anywhere. I think as each individual artist makes a choice to conform, I don't want to say conform because that sounds bad, to adhere to a certain convention or an expectation for a genre and where they choose to just be like fuck you i'm gonna do what i want i think that's why we can have such varied work within a genre that you would think is could become a bit tired right right and i think you see too people i mean music is music changes over time every form of media changes over time and you know, the most recent kind of thing that we saw kind of added to pop music was the influence of EDM and dubstep, which started off as subgenres and then kind of got cannibalized. And now you hear it in the background of everything. Just like, oh, and here's my thought. Uh, you know, in the 90s, there was that, like, boing question, or 90s, early 2000s, there was, like, that boing question mark sound in a lot of mm-hmm. songs. Like, I think it's in at least one Destiny's Child song and maybe, like, a Backstreet Boys song are coming to mind. And now it's, like, the clock ticking is in, like, every song that's out right now. Yes. And it's driving me bonkers. It's fucking Zed's fault. Yes. I believe that. It's Zed's fault for putting it in the middle and now everyone's copying. Yeah, because it's in that one song, like, seven years, like, when I was seven years old. Yes! I I hate that song. (laughs) I'm sorry, person who made that song whose name I can't remember. I hate that song. It was okay, like, the first three times I heard it, and then I didn't stop hearing it for, like, three months straight, and I'm like, no, we're done here. 
It's over. <laughs> Let it, it die. It wasn't that good to begin with. It was tolerable, and now I cannot stand it. I will not tolerate this a moment yeah. longer. But sonically, too, I think the same thing can be said for themes and content conventions, but also for sounds. And I think Hosier is coming at it from both directions, and that's sort of what makes him really, really unique, is he doesn't sound like anybody else. He doesn't talk about the same things that everybody else is talking about. And he's high-quality, relatable content, like... You know, you're not you're not a special special flower thing for listening to Hozier. Everyone listens to him. Like it's not a secret. <laughs> it's just good. And in this case, I think it's so popular because it's so good that some things some things are I think popular because they're packaged to appeal to the lowest common denominator. I think that's just true of a lot of pop music. I feel that way. God bless them, Maroon 5. <laughs> oh my, I know. Well, because here's the thing, though. Maroon 5 made a fucking career out of that, and I really kind of admire yeah, that. Yeah, no, I'm, in a I'm weird down way. for that. Like, I am also a part of the lowest common denominator. Like, They know who they are, and they know what they want to do. Yeah. That's okay. And I'm, not, I'm, and I'm not saying that. I think so many times it's said in, like, a negative way, and I'm not. It's just facts, you know? It's not that this is a lower quality or it's bad. Because like you said, objective right. quality doesn't exist. Exist. But I just, I don't think Hosier is doing anything to appeal to the lowest common denominator. He's doing it because that's who he is as an artist. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it could be that Maroon 5, who they are as an artist, just happens to appeal to the lowest common denominator. And that's why they got picked up by the record company. And like, that's just who they are. But... You know, it's just things like that. But, I don't know, I just feel like Hoes are special to me, personally. (laughs) Okay, robots, that's probably enough for today. Unedited, this recording is an hour and 18 minutes long, so (laughs) we're, we're stopping here. Thanks for joining us today. We really love talking to each other and, in some ways, talking to you. We hope you enjoyed it too. If you did, you can like and review. Please, 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 please like, rate, review, whatever it is on whatever platform it is that you are using. Tweet us at Remedial Studies. We want to hear what you thought about the album. We want to hear what you think about us, but only if it's nice. JK, not JK. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) You can be constructive without being mean. Yes. I believe in and you. And I'm old enough to handle that now. You can follow us on Tumblr. We're remedialstudiespodcast.tumblr.com. You can email us remedialstudiespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, which we're just at remedialstudies there. Uh, and we look forward to hearing from you and establishing a thoughtful dialogue on modern pop music. Rachel, do you have our spotlight for the day? This spotlight uh, was brought to you by me playing a lot of World of Warcraft and listening to audio dramas while I play a lot of World of Warcraft, because I have a show I want to talk about. It is ongoing, but their season three finale is going to be premiere. It's going to premiere, I think, the day after you hear this. 
Um, it is a show called Archive 81. It is a found footage horror podcast. It is very good. It is really scary to the point where I there it got to a point where I could not listen to it to go to bed because I could not listen to it with the lights off. Like it is so creepy and good and it and it goes it basically is like a found footage movie but a podcast. But the difference I think between that and I think how that genre got kind of tired was is um the premise kind of changes from season to season. Like season 1 is these found tapes that this guy uh, named Dan Powell is making while he's doing this ar- archival project at Archive 81. And then the second season dives into more of like, well, what was really behind all this creepy stuff that we saw in the first season where they go to this weird kind of other world. It plays with magic and dimensions and science fiction in a way that I find very interesting in that the magic is very focused on ritual and sacrifice. And it talks about how all stories are rituals. And it's been amazing. Every season has been better than the last one. It made me cry my own tears, which is the highest praise I can give anything. And you should go watch it. They are at, watch it, that's not a thing. You should go listen to it. Um, I believe they're on all the major platforms, but on Twitter, they are at Archive81, A-R-C-H-I-V, and then a numerical 8 and 1. And we are going to be back pretty soon. We're going to take the 9th off, but we'll have content for you on the 16th. We're going to do I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is about the Golden State Killer. And then... On the 23rd, we're going to be talking about Sadie, which is a young adult thriller about a girl who's, I think it's her sister. It's all fuzzy now that it's been a couple weeks since we've picked it. But her sister goes missing or is killed. Her sister's killed. And to solve her murder, um, she teams up with a podcast, a true crime podcast. Uh, so we're layering. We're layering. And then, of course, on October 30th, to celebrate uh, both our one-year anniversary and Halloween, we'll be doing Crimson Peak. So uh, we look forward to seeing you. We got an action-packed month for you, and we're very excited to bring you an extra episode this month. So that's it. Bye, robots. Bye, robots.